0: What's up everyone, welcome back to Dr. Lee Unhinged. I'm Dr. Shaw. I'm Dr. Maxfield. How are you, Dr. Maxfield?
1: I'm good, today was chaos. Uh, In the real doctor world, our electronic medical record system went down, so we're doing everything by paper today. Holy cow, somehow, somehow, and I'll credit my nurses for this one. We were pretty much on time the whole freaking day, and that's a darn tootin' miracle. What about the
0: notes that are going to have to come afterwards? Like, probably, I imagine yeah. someone will have to transcribe the written format uh, into the electronic chart Yeah, asynchronously. I blocked my,
1: I blocked my schedule for tomorrow because, yeah, we're going to all have to sit down as an office and work on that together. Which, that kind of sucks, but
0: it is what Sounds it is. Sounds like a nightmare. Well, sorry that you're going through that. How, how is life otherwise? Good, good. I think
1: one of the most interesting things right now... In my life is the Chess World Cup,
0: and then we'll get to your important lights updates. Can we call it a World Cup? I used to play chess. <laughs> to be fair, but uh, remember really? we played chess before against each other. Oh,
1: did we actually get to do that?
0: I don't remember yeah. that. I guess I won and just forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a big chess watcher, I noticed. Mm-hmm. And and why did I notice this? How would I know this? Because we shared the same YouTube account. Because we upload <laughs> and. And all, like all the suggested videos are chess championships <laughs> um and so so i suppose you watch a lot so to, to update the world on the chess world cup okay Because so here's it's why also this is the so women's world cup too that just yes. ended.
1: yes that did um the I, I think the most intriguing story though is right now the men's cup which is still ongoing and the reason is so intriguing the reason it's so intriguing if you know anything about chess and i'm like new to the bandwagon so I'm new, but Magnus Carlson is perhaps the greatest of all time. So much so that he's like bored with the sport. He he just like is kind of over it. He started doing poker. He started doing all these other things. He's just like so brilliant and above chess. He's still winning. He's still competing now for the World Cup. He also is like incredibly bored with himself and this this is it a sport? Can we is it a sport? I don't yeah, know this, I bo- mean... <laughs> this chess sport. Now the, his opponent is his long name, and most people do refer to him as Prague. Um, if I go down, Gotham chess is going down with me, but he's an 18 year old phenom from India. So you have this like prototypical classic storyline of perhaps the greatest of all time. Still pretty young, by the way, he can't be much older than us, but versus Prague, an 18 year old phenom from India. It ended in a draw today. And so we don't know who actually won because they're going to be continuing this battle tomorrow, but this is like an incredible, incredible, uh, exciting board board game. I'm freaking ins- i'm obsessed with this I even have a chess tutor
0: <laughs> so Magnus Carlson age 32 versus 32. this Indian phenom um coming out of nowhere Ramesh Babu I believe his name is is that correct oh his first name yep yeah okay well incredible we'll see how, how long does a match if we can call it a match how how long do these generally take <sighs>
1: well to this watch? is why I think Magnus hates them because if you watch it live, it's it's forever. I don't even know what do they have, like an hour per move, 20 hours for this thing. It's not that long, perhaps, but it's painfully long and slow. And this is the generational gap thing. So Magnus likes the Blitz games, the Rapid games. And he even in an interview during this last month said that he might be done playing long form chess because it's just so laborious and stressful.
0: Interesting. Okay, well, we'll stay tuned to the results of the, the Chess World Cup. Thank you for the update. <laughs> Um, I have some travel plans coming up. I'm going to Japan. So, if anybody has any suggestions for what to do or see in Japan, this is like a real vacation. Most of the time we're traveling, we're traveling for events um, related to dermatology. This time, just purely family thing. So, Mm. I would love any suggestions for anyone who has visited Japan. Uh, Things I like to do. I like to shop. I like to eat. And that's pretty much all I do, quite honestly. So if you have any suggestions along those lines, that would be amazing. I think, I suppose other people on the trip will like to see the sites as well. So if there's anything site related as well, please, please let us know in the comments. Now that that's cool. I'm actually, I'm glad to hear that's a a leisurely trip
1: for you. you've said, you're going to Japan. It's like, oh my gosh, you just got back from Singapore. And then
0: recently you had the move. So fill them in on like the move. The move, so moving to Miami, um, so I moved from to Miami, just settled in. We moved Saturday. It's been about a week since I've been in the new place, and pretty much 90% of stuff is set up, and it's beautiful here. Uh, I went to school down in South Florida, so you know I'm used to this area, but it's just great to be back. It's great to be out on the balcony. It's great to have the sun rays hit you with that SPF on, it's just it's just great to be back. So we're excited to be here. So yeah, big move, just totally life upside down, but I'm trying to keep it all together. I got my setup back, everything set up. I haven't created nice. any videos in a really long time uh, during this move process. So I really need to get back into things, start creating more content. Um, but I think it's going to be good. Like I said, I'm hopeful for the future and the future is yet unknown. So I'm excited about it. Nice. Super exciting. So our life,
1: my life is like a vicarious life, I guess. Your life is incredibly fascinating and wild and, and romantic at the moment. But moving past that, today we're going to talk about alpha gal, this tick meat allergy that has stormed the country. And is this new to dermatologists? Yes and no. We'll talk about the details there. And then we'll talk about this whole controversy about injectables at a younger age. We've talked about this in piecemeal, but let's just bookmark all of our thoughts here. So we can put our official stamp of approval, disapproval on this whole
0: concept. All right. So let's jump into alpha gal, which in popular culture is known as a red meat allergy. So basically being allergic to beef or meat or any red meat, essentially mammalian meats. Is this a real thing? Is this just something that has flooded the internet and it's not a real thing? So, can you truly be allergic to red meat? The answer is yes. There's a condition called alpha-gal, which is when you become allergic to a carbohydrate, a sugar that is found in red meats, red meats being beef, pork, I think there are rabbits, venison, a few other things as well. You can become allergic to this. How do you become allergic to this? There is a tick called the Lone Star Tick. There are other ticks that carry this illness as well. And when it bites you, this is actually terrifying to me because I actually had a hive on my eye today and it's gone. So, it definitely was a hive. It wasn't like a mosquito bite in South Florida. And I had red meat earlier today. And then I developed a hive on my eyelid. And, and I oftentimes develop like really itchy lips. Like my lips become itchy and swollen and then they just go away. It's almost like a hive, right? And I developed this on my eyelid and I started to think to myself, am I developing alpha gal? So, what happens is you get bit by this lone star tick and when it bites you, Through its saliva, it transfers you this alpha-gal carbohydrate. And then your body mounts an IgE immune response to it. IgE is the immunoglobulin, the antibody involved in allergic reactions. So your body mounts this IgE response against this tick bite. And that same carbohydrate is found in red meats. And so then in the future... When you eat those red meats after being bitten by this tick, you develop an allergic reaction to the meat and the allergic reaction to red meat can become so severe that you actually go into anaphylactic shock and die. So, this is a real thing and is actually happening in large numbers. I believe there was something like 110,000 cases in the United States, believe it or not. Wow. So, there are two interesting things about this. Um...
1: One is that it's actually a newly newly recognized disease entity. And when I say new, I mean like within the last couple of decades. That's actually incredibly novel. But during that time, this has, over the course of that the years, become validated and in, within the medical literature and within the dermatology space, a recognized, well-established condition. So seeing this blow up virally for us and for me is like, oh, here it is again. I'm kind of surprised to see it getting such traction. but. It's probably a good thing because, because it's a new condition, having more awareness of this possibility might actually help a lot of people. Um, this is not something that has decades of history or centuries of, is there like nothing between decades and centuries? Can we just go like 50 years of history, <laughs> 50 years of history of like atopic dermatitis, or psoriasis? Four
0: score. Four score. I think a score is a ago. decade, isn't it?
1: Uh, four score and seven years ago. Maybe you're right sure this was a so four score if we could go back four score alpha gal would not be recognized but so again people 20 years as a score so that 40. would be between that and the century okay so glad we got that squared away <laughs> 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 um but here's, here's why it's important the 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 allergic reaction to this is actually delayed and so not like if you eat a banana or you put on something latex and you swell up probably within 30 minutes a very unique feature of alpha gal is this commonly occurs overnight. It's like you have red meat for dinner, you go to sleep, and then four to six hours later, uh, you develop perhaps a severe allergic reaction. And that can be very confusing for people because you're like, I mean, what happened? Like, I haven't done anything different recently because it's not perhaps the last thing or most recent thing you did in the day. And uh, I don't know if you were you, you were not at this. I don't believe you're in our pro, the program yet. So Dr. Sean and I did residency together. And at University of North Carolina, at a point we were doing didactics and With them and one of the residents had this he developed this and he was sharing his experience and same thing it was like a new novel entity at the time and he found out that that he was alerted to this red meat from ticks and uh, so his personal anecdotal experience was just very compelling but also very interesting in how he's adapted he was able to eat fish i think without any problems Um, but it took him a while to figure it out and we should all be very afraid of ticks like ticks and mosquitoes we should probably be much more concerned with these things than we are
0: yeah so i think the awareness part is really important to see on social media one because if you personally start to develop these symptoms you could potentially know what caused it but also for other providers who trained you know 15 20 years ago now we're required as physicians to do what we call continuing medical education or cme and you're also required to recertify every few years. And the reason why I laugh about that is because not a lot of people know this. <laughs> this may terrify you may not terrify you but it's it's something sort of interesting to think about. Every new physician is required to recertify. Like if you're bo- say you're board certified in dermatology, right? You take the test in 2023. You're going to be required to recertify for that exam. Now, there are many paths to recertification, but to recertify, you have to continue to answer questions or take another test to recertify yourself in your specialty. The interesting thing is that you didn't used to need to do this many years ago. But to even further layer this on top is that the people that implemented this th- these new rules that you have to get recertified actually grandfathered themselves in so that they don't have to recertify. So there is a group of people who made the rules on recertification and it only applied to new graduates or people who graduated within a certain time period, but did not apply to them, the people (laughs) making the rule. And so there are a class, and I'm not saying they're not great doctors because these old school doctors are phenomenal and I've learned a lot from them, but there is that generation 30 years postgraduate that are not required to recertify just so just heads up on that (laughs) many people don't know um but obviously you know they they maintain their you know education through other paths um and hopefully are continuing to learn on their own but it could be valuable for people who are not checking up on things regularly to learn that is potentially you could become like if you're an er doctor it's really important for you to know that people can become allergic to red meat even if they were never allergic to red meat in the past I couldn't agree more. It's the cross-specialty
1: education, I think, is most valuable. On, I don't know how many of the grandfathered in doctors are the ones who are learning on TikTok. You know, it's just <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not sure that's the group population that's your TikTok that's focus. But definitely the cross-specialty uh, education through TikTok is uh, uh, real. Like, I, I, I completely agree. I think that's very valuable. So now that we've established that this is a thing, you can develop a reaction anaphylactic or even, you get cutaneous symptoms with this too, I believe. Or is it just purely hives? Yeah, you can get hives. Yeah. Yeah. So, hives, the little red wheels on the skin, plus anaphylaxis and angioedema, swelling of the soft tissue. Now, so that's what it looks like. Now, how can you avoid this? Like, because all I can think of is just tick protection. And I think that's all we're really left with.
0: Yeah. So, in order to avoid getting alpha-gal syndrome, which is the allergy to red meat, you would have to avoid getting bitten by lone star ticks. Lone star ticks are found primarily in the eastern part of the United States, all the way from New York down to Florida, and all the way reaching over on the west to Texas area. And, you know, mostly you're going to find it in, I'm actually not sure where it geographically conglomerates but basically on that eastern side of the united states you don't see as much lone star ticks on the western part of the united states like california now the only way to avoid tick bites is not leave your house i often do that or you can use like a you know insect repellents you know deet and permethrin tend to be more effective as insect repellents um the rest of the stuff out there don't work necessarily as well and once you develop this allergy, the only thing that you can do is avoid eating those meats. So, avoiding red meats, which is, like I said, beef and and pork and all those, but also potentially some gelatin. And there's certain, like, medications that also contain this carbohydrate. Um, and, for example, cetuximab, which is a cancer chemotherapeutic agent, um, biologic is also contains this ingredient as well so there are certain medications you need to avoid there are certain animal byproducts that you need to avoid and then you need to avoid eating meat as well you can also do desensitization where they basically expose you to it in low doses until you become essentially your body doesn't react to it anymore Uh, but that's i think only been done in a few cases so It can be just end up being hives where it's like not really a bad reaction, in which case you could just take an antihistamine, but it can go to full-blown anaphylaxis, which would require, I think epinephrine would be probably the best treatment for this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you at that point. Steroids, epinephrine
1: on a drip, but there it is. That is your red meat allergy in a nutshell. It's real. It's here to stay. And it's coming for you. But it's, it may not. I'm just kidding. It's just like me on the mic. But um, it's a real thing. Just be aware of the risk with ticks. <laughs> it's
0: a real thing. All right. So next up, we wanted to talk about injectables um, at a younger age. Now, we've talked about this before. We have a, a YouTube video on preventative Botox, quote unquote. And basically, we're covering this article that came out. And basically, they're saying... People are getting Botox younger than ever. This is an article coming out of Glossy. With TikTok, Botox trends, injectables are less stigmatized and clients are younger than ever. So, people are doing things like the lip flip. People are doing things like getting Botox and trap talks and all these things. And so, basically, you see these trends on social media, getting lip filler, getting microneedling. They're getting all these procedures done and they're sharing it with their followers friends, fans, and influencing the public to say, hey, maybe I need this too, especially if you're somebody who's sharing before and afters. Now, this is something that you really maybe weren't able to do as effectively as before, but videos are just so compelling when you see a before and after video of what your skin used to look like before and then what it looks like now. And that to me is influential enough to go and say, hey, maybe I'd be interested in something like this. And so what do you think about getting injectables specifically at a younger age? And are you seeing this in your practice? I'm seeing it. I'm not seeing it like an uptick. I think we always, I always saw people in that late 20 to early 30 demographic coming in with these types of concerns. So I I wouldn't say that I see an uptick, but are you seeing an uptick in your practice of people seeking out injectables? Not,
1: no, I think for me, and it's just, it's been a kind of a constant in terms of age range. It's still I'm with you. The earlier side is maybe mid-20s. And I'm trying to think of maybe this just has to do with demographic, but uh, that's also possible. I mean, I think really the most prominent portion of that clientele is actually individuals in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. I have a lot of people wanting to explore filler Botox with that. A lot of them are new, but they see like a sign and they're like, looks good. What is it? like, well, let's talk about it. But um. I think an interesting thing here, though, is what, I don't know, for me, it's like about being deliberate because these injectables are so very different. Like even of the procedures you mentioned, they are just so incredibly different than each other, even though a lot of people will limp, 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 lump. They will lump filler and Botox together in their mind. I could see a better argument for Botox at an earlier age than perhaps filler, Um, Mm -hmm. although you could probably get a desired result with either it just kind of just very person dependent very goal-oriented but i think most of the nuance may revolve around botox Um, and that's a lot of the discussions i've seen recently is on the idea of botox
0: too early so so i just formulated this opinion in my mind right now and it's relevant to what you're saying and we've talked about this before but preventative botox all botox is preventative that was its main function. It was never meant to treat wrinkles. It was meant to prevent wrinkles. And if you have wrinkles and you use Botox, it can soften those wrinkles. But really, it's just preventing further wrinkle formation. And what I mean by that is that Botox and neuromodulators in general and what falls into that category is Dysport and Daxify and Juveau. All of these neuromodulators, all they do is paralyze the muscles so that you cannot contract them. And if you cannot contract your muscles, then you don't form wrinkles when you move your forehead and when you frown, when you smile. Um, And so, by paralyzing the muscles, you don't get the movement. And when you don't get the movement, then you don't form those static wrinkles, right? By stopping dynamic motion, you prevent static wrinkles. And, And that's what it does. It prevents it. So. You have to think about at what age are you actually starting to develop or would you start to develop these etched in wrinkles? And that's the age where truly it's going to be the most effective. So, I find that in most people, depending on your skin tone, actually, your skin color determines sort of at what age and and your genetics um, to some extent and your sun exposure over the years, but a lot of times your, your skin tone plays a big role in this. At what age you start to develop those more etched in wrinkles? For some, for some people, um, you can start to develop etched in wrinkles like in your late twenties, even mid twenties. Whereas some people I've seen um, are don't develop wrinkles until their fifties, um, and that could be their lifestyle that's playing a role in this as well. But it's when you start to form those etched in wrinkles that Botox is really going to prevent them. And I, and to your point, I've had a lot of patients come in in their sixties where they have deep etched in wrinkles Mm -hmm. and they say i want to do botox and in fact at that age you really can't do botox one because it's not going to make a big difference in those deep etched in wrinkles they've already formed and the second problem with that is that a lot of times people are using their forehead muscles at that point to keep their eyes open and so for people who who are like they they have these etch and wrinkles because they've actually developed you know blepharochalasis where their their eyelids are, are starting to obstruct their vision if you paralyze these muscles then you'll actually drop the eyelids and or you'll drop the eyebrows in which case people won't be able to see effectively and so Botox is we're not saying that you should use Botox in your 20s or 30s or if you you should use Botox ever I I think it's it's a personal choice but Botox is most effective as a preventative than it is in any other stage of life do you have a different opinion on that no I
1: I think that's the heart of it and I think that's the heart of why Botox exists for who it will be best served perhaps it's for whom it will be best served and uh but I, I agree with every bit of that, and uh, it's very personalized. And like you said, it's not going to be—you can't give a hard age cutoff with Botox, right? Because for some person, they might need it in the early 20s. M- using that kind of objective, subjective marker that you put forward, the beginning of those static lines as your benchmark. So maybe for you, it's going to be—I mean, for you, Doctor Shot's probably going to be like, I don't know, you're. I don't know I give you another 10 years for me it was probably five years ago you know I I think um, like you said multiple contributing factors but everyone is going to have a different starting point just based off of their life genetics skin and goals
0: yeah a hundred percent and then to your point which is actually what I wanted to get to next which is is there a role for Botox and fillers at a younger age and why would you use it before you're forming wrinkles because filler is used to replace volume it fills lost volume that's the way you think about it filler replaces lost volume so it fills something so a lot of times when you see people with really puffy lips it's because they got lip filler if somebody has really prominent cheeks uh it's because they got cheek filler often right so it's giving you volume it's filling in volume and it's used most appropriately in my opinion to replace lost volume. So once you get into your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and your fat pads start to shift downwards and you lose bone volume uh, in the upper cheek, filler is meant to replace the lost volume to help it match what you're losing, right? So when you use it as a younger age and you haven't lost volume, it invariably is going to change the way that you look naturally. So if you're using filler in your early 20s, mid 20s, it's almost always to change the structure unless there's something else that's happened to you. It's almost always used to change the structure of the way that you look naturally, which means that if you're getting lip filler in your early 20s, it's because you didn't lose volume in your lips. Your lips weren't more full. It's you want fuller lips more than you naturally had. If you get lip filler in your upper cheek in your mid 20s, you probably haven't lost volume in your 20s by then. So, you're actually going to be changing the structure. You're going to add more prominence to the upper face. If you're getting it in your chin, it's because you're trying to have a more prominent chin. Uh, and so, filler at that age is really going to be used to change the structural way that your face looks to the world. Otherwise, you know, that that's the role it's going to be. Now, same thing actually I just thought for Botox is that if you're using Botox in your early 20s before you formed wrinkles, where are you really going to be using it? Would be the the masseter. the jaw masseter to thin the face, or you know the trapezius to thin the shoulders. And so, really, if you're using neuromod injectables at a really really young age, I'm talking about before the age of 25, mostly you're going to be changing structurally the way that you look naturally. Um, whereas if you're getting it in your 30s and beyond, it could be used to either prevent wrinkles or or replace volume that's lost naturally with age right so I mean I
1: think you spelled it out there's two different types of deliberate use uh in the different age groups and like I know is it I don't know I don't have a hard stance on this because I'm like is it that unreasonable for a 20 year old with thin lips to want fuller lips as opposed to a 40 year old who had fuller lips but doesn't have them anymore and wants them to be full again like I I don't know. I don't think I have a strong stance on that. I think you could, a person could sway me either way. I'm typically a bit more conservative with cosmetics. I'm much more of like, the let's try to keep this a natural version of you where, you know, you, they, people say you look good, but they can't figure out why that's more my personal style. But, um, I think I could be convinced if a person said, no, I just have small lips. I want big lips. Like maybe not outrageously large lips maybe like you look at the lips and they're like plump and they they still look natural this person never had them to begin with i i find that acceptable
0: yeah it's always going to be it's one it's 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 always going to be up to the person their personal preferences i'm like you i like to i prefer sort of a more naturally enhanced look um but that being said you could sway me if you feel like this would really improve the quality of your life I I do feel like it's important as a physician to educate your patients on what they'll look like and maybe describe to them that this doesn't look natural. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, if you want, you know, two cc's of filler in your lips, you have to, I think it's your responsibility to say like this is not like the natural dynamic of the way the lips look and people will probably be able to tell that you got them done. Now, some physicians will say no, they'll say like this is my work, my license my how the world perceives my work and I won't in good faith perform a procedure that I think looks unnatural there are other physicians who say you know I'm going to lean more towards what that person of the patient wants and so that that I mean you got to find a physician that you're comfortable with everyone has different styles I do know physicians that will turn down cosmetic requests because they think that it, it won't look good or looks extremely unnatural and they just, they won't kind of bend to that. So I think that's more of a philosophical question. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's a whole another layer. Um,
1: But I can understand the points on both sides. Like you you, you take not only pride, but you have to feel good about what you do at the end of the day as a doctor as well. So totally
0: understandable. Right. And I think with all these injectables and things that are happening and you're seeing all this and you're exposed to it more than ever, I don't know necessarily that there's been an uptick, at least not in my experience. I would say that I have experienced an uptick in, and you're right. It might be a a geographic location thing now that I live in Miami, things may be certainly much different. Um, But that being said, um, I don't know that there's been a massive uptick there. What I have noticed a massive uptick in is just skincare adoption in general. Like my Mm -hmm. patients coming in with like really solid skincare routines, a lot of knowledge about skincare and having like really, really thoughtful routines that they put together. And so that to me, I have actually noticed a difference. Again, could be a, a thing where a lot of the patients that are coming to see me are sort of seeking that out. So, it could be I'm also, I could be skewed in some ways, but I, I feel like skincare knowledge has improved a lot, which I'm really grateful for. And the reason why I bring that up is because I think that if you're doing any of these cosmetic procedures, that they really need to be coupled with a good skincare routine in order to maintain those and also help those things look more natural and also prevent further damage. So if you're getting preventative, quote unquote, preventative Botox, you really need to be wearing sunscreen, right? And I think that education is there more than ever before, which I, I believe will help people age more gracefully, and have better control over their skin health going forward. Nice. I love that.
1: Uh, actually, I've seen some plastic surgeons defend that point lately as well, because they were posed the question like, why are you guys talking so much about skincare? Do you actually do anything with the skin? And they're like, no, most of our procedures aren't directly to the skin. Some are, most aren't. Um, but we are well aware that you have to complement everything procedurally with a good skincare regimen at the very least sunscreen and probably a retinoid. But um I, I completely agree. That's that's the marrying if you're gonna really full out all out address your appearance, skincare, skin, you
0: really need to
1: be aware of both worlds, procedural and topical.
0: Absolutely. So what's our consensus on this? Younger, older, it doesn't matter. What do you uh, think?
1: Yeah, I guess it doesn't matter category in a sense. I think it can be appropriate for the right person used deliberately, personalized, individualized. I think it's fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tell people no all the time. I've had you know twenty two year olds come in and say, "Hey, I don't like my forehead moving," and I say, "Hey, you're going to be you'll end up doing a lifetime of Botox anyway, probably, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> you don't need to start now because you're not forming static wrinkles yet. Like you're not even close to the point where you're going to wake up with a line." On your forehead right so at which point i'll say hey just hold off save your money for now um if this is the desired look that you want wait a few more years because you know getting that every three months can certainly add up it's not cheap at all um it, definitely not cheap i uh, you know anytime i've actually paid for my own um hurts hurts a little <laughs> bit um so <laughs> you're like in what scenario have you paid for your own um a few times just you know to to be Generous to the practices, so, Um, (laughs) uh, but it's it's not cheap. It's gonna run you like five hundred bucks at least, five hundred to eight hundred dollars. You know it's expensive, so you know save your money and use it where, like Dr. Maxfield always says, deliberately um, towards your intended outcome. So don't start too early if you don't need it, basically. But you could need it earlier, ultimately. Anyway, I think that pretty much summarizes everything we wanted to talk about today. We covered our upcoming travel plans the chess world cup we'll find out who wins is it going to be the phenom or the try tested and true 32 year old alpha gal i'm curious if anyone knows anyone that's gotten this and then do you need injectables at a younger age we'll see you all in the next episode
1: yeah we'll see you next time